Thank you for joining us on Vagina Talks. I'm thrilled to have you here and I want to have you everywhere we are. So I want to invite you to come check out the Patreon. That is where you can support, become a member, join the virtual temple, get behind scenes, all the good stuff, support this podcast so that we can keep bringing you the medicine, the free flow, the real, 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 real talk. Would love to have you as part of the community over there. Consider yourself invited. Come on over. I'm Samantha Rise, and welcome to Vagina Talks, where we speak about, to, and from vaginas. This is a show of alchemy, where we turn poison into medicine, disconnection into wisdom, and isolated wounds into communal peacemaking. Here's your host, Sophia Wise One. You already know everything they can teach you. You already know everything they could say. We are here to remind you what you already, already, already know. I just want to take a minute to acknowledge that Vagina Talks understands that gender is fluid and dynamic and goes way beyond the binary of either woman or man, she or him, and that in fact it's a living and evolving thing that's actually personal, person to person, and that our bodies, even our understanding or the ways that we experience them can vary. It's important for me that that's something that has space here on Vagina Talks, and at the same time, I also am carrying this understanding that womanhood and the experience of the feminine and all of the female in the splitting of that binary has been injured, has been hurt, has been dismantled. And so I'm looking to have a space where the feminine and the female and the female body is reclaimed and respected and lifted and inspected and known, as well as a space that goes beyond the binary and that acknowledges that these are limited constructs mostly put upon us and that we're in the process of evolving into something more whole and more true. Just wanted to say that some of my guests will use incredibly binary language for whatever reason from the places that they come from. And I just wanted to let you know that Vagina Talks has a much wider understanding and it's a living one. So feel free to chime in as we go along. Without further ado, today's episode. Hello, sweet one, and welcome to Vagina Talks. I'm called Sophia Wise One, and I am grateful for your presence here. I am in a primed place. I'm in a raw place. I'm in a... Hmm, I guess the honest word that comes up is desperate, and it, it feels really whole. It feels really holy. It feels really whole to be um, so exposed. And I look forward to kind of letting that unfold with you in our time together. I've brought some medicine for us today. And by I, I mean, she's accepted the invitation. I've invited and she's accepted the invitation to make medicine with us today. I have already um, felt this um, activation in her yes and in her invitation and in our time gathering today. So I'm going to say a few things about her and then bring her, bring her in with us. Leonor Chia is an artist, healer, and feminist, sexuality educator. 
whose work lies at the intersection of soul, myth, eros, and intimacy. As a trained practitioner of internal family systems therapy, she helps people transform their emotional and sexual patterns and reawaken their innate erotic intelligence. She runs somatic workshops where people tell true sexual stories for healing and witnessing and access their inner wildness that helps us feel erotically alive. Welcome, Leonore. <laughs> Thank you so much. What a sexy intro. <laughs> Feeling it. Like I'm like just dropping into this space. I just feel I feel so raw. And as I was you know, as I was reading this like again and being here with you, I was thinking about like, yeah, like I had a deeply erotic weekend that was a lot of medicine, a lot of prayer, a lot of pleasure, a lot of uh, deep contact in my body. And it was such a transformative and healing time because going into it, I got nervous. I was talking to this lover and I was like, okay, but like if somebody gets mad, we're not going to like punish each other right like that's not like it's not like what we're doing anymore that's not what I'm doing that's what we're like we kind of just like this the trauma memories coming up and being like we can't just like get a hotel room and have a romantic night like that'll just turn into mm-hmm. like a mess right like it's a trap it's a, it's a trap right totally all the pressure and all the mm-hmm. things we haven't dealt with we're gonna have time and space and they're mm-hmm. gonna come up and they're gonna be roaring and and ah, what a fucking glorious result to live my life differently. Like we tend ourselves and our relationship in a really different way. So that's not what happened, right? Like went and, mm-hmm. and had really deep, satisfying, pleasurable, like lots of sex. And then went to bed early and like slept through the night, you know, like it was like, I think we were mm-hmm. passed out by 930 and it was like perfect. I woke up early. And so just as I was reading, I was thinking about that soul and myth and eros and intimacy and and what it is to be erotically alive and how much after we have that exposure um how much has to like fall away right that's like Mm -hmm. like that and I feel like that's you know part of where I am right now I'm half in the remembering and half in the holy forgetting like forgetting forgetting Mm -hmm. my old ways and like forgiving them and and forgetting them, not necessarily in concept, but forgetting them in pathway, right? Somatically, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. get in here. <laughs> yeah, the shedding never ends, right? It's like the the expansion, expansion, like I was just talking to a client yesterday who was like, I just feel like there's this erotic realm that I get a glimpse of sometimes and then the veils come back down mm. and become very thick and I just don't know how to get there. And I was like, that's, I think that's true for all of us. It's certainly been true for me of like glimpse, visioning, like contact, excitement, fear, anxiety, instant shutting it down, (laughs) get that liberation away from me. And then like back into life, longing, you know, feeling trapped, uh, going back, like just that opening and closing forever. And, you know, I've had very, I, I would, one thing I appreciated when you reached out to me was like, you really asked me to speak about my work and also my own journey as an ongoing process. 
not as like a one and done. <laughs> <laughs> Let me like, laugh over like, here loudly. Yeah. So where so where are you now today? What's alive? What's where are you expanding and, and experiencing new things like like our visionary? Like what are you seeing? What are you bringing through? And and what are you letting go? Mm, yeah. Let's see. I, you know, it was nice preparing for this because I cut my journal out and really kind of wrote a bit about timelines of things to be like really look at the big phases of my life. Mm. So. Um, just to give some context, like I'll speak, you know, from my own positionality, um, like I just turned 30. So and I've been working in the sexuality field now for eight years. So I entered this work early, it was actually my first job after college. And some of what had laid the groundwork for that, for me was um, having really read a lot of feminist critical theory in college and really coming from a lifelong path of feminist spirituality myself. So I've been involved in in, in goddess worship and full moon rituals and in really exploring animist spirituality and specifically the suppressed traditions of the divine feminine cross-culturally from a very, very young age. Like read the Red Tent and the Mists of Avalon when I was like 12 and was like, I want to find a moon circle. And my mom was like, I don't know what that is, but okay. Well, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. And beautiful. I had the gift of like supportive enough parents that mm-hmm. that was a life-saving um, that was truly a life-saving mm. thread for me in the tortures of adolescence and growing up still in a very heteronormative, mononormative, you know, primarily white, um, extremely achievement-oriented society and feeling this intense dissonance as a biracial person, as a bisexual person, as a someone, someone who really felt early desires towards um, polyamory and exploring BDSM like that sense of being different and of not belonging has been very woven in mm. into my story and also being someone who I think would be described as like highly sensitive and highly empathic you know so so anyway that's a little bit of the context of um, you know just like where I'm where I'm coming from myself and in the, these, you know, I'm blessed to have walked this professional path around sexuality, which has afforded so much space for my own healing and investigation, continued expansion, you know, yeah. as you know. <laughs> yeah. It, it's really quite amazing um, and quite horrible sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. I remember you always. Oh, you're in that. Yeah, I remember you says horrible, whore, so whore, whore, able, horrible. Mm -hmm. Words are funny. It's like, yeah, it's really, yeah, it's a real thing of like, uh huh. It's this like deep professional work, and there's nothing that's not personal about it, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it it is it is it is at the core like intimacy, like, and we always have our own lens, so it's so supportive Mm -hmm. and also. Activating, yeah, confronting. Totally, totally. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I've had, I've had, you know, periods in my life of huge openings into, oh, uh, like this, these liberations from my internalized homophobia. You know, of like, oh my god, I really like realizing what the huge load of queer shame that I was carrying, and didn't just didn't have words for that. Of like, oh my god, oh you know, 
or just realizing that the same level of shame and burden I've had around my polyamorous desires. Like, oh, God. These, like, huge awakening moments that really, like, threw me around um, and and opened new horizons of vision and possibility and um, also the terror of then how to integrate that and this, Mm. like, cost of what it would, what I'd have to give up, you know, the relationships, the communities, the approval of my family and the sense of being normal. I think, Mm -hmm. like that letting go of conformity or yeah, the of having a normal quote unquote normal path and normal life mm. it's really come in waves and has had, there've been really big ones. Um, a, a lot of those big ones for me happened probably 2012, 2013. And so I am, you know, about six years in now of really, well, I've been really openly relating for about a decade, but kind of made the decision to be fully polyamorous on August 7th, 2012. <laughs> I know the exact date. Um, so I've had, you know, years of like actually really exploring and enacting a very non-normative erotic life in, you know, living my, my queer polyamorous life, exploring my, my BDSM desires, I'm doing professional work that's associated with all of these things. And then also just doing the work of fulfilling, you know, just like, how do I really be my, who I am and like, and evolve with that because it's always changing, you know? So I guess that's kind of the context that brings me to this conversation with you now. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And like where I am really now is I'd say like this, this last period for me um, has been about, you know, to be honest, it's mostly really been about rage. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What comes up for you as I say that? Well, when I was sitting on the floor yesterday weeping, Um, and then just at this edge of like wrecking, I was upstairs. I was like, I'm like bang. I broke everything I touched yesterday. Um, computer cord. I lost a piece. I lost a drawer out of a piece of furniture. That's probably 80 years old. That's like my family's furniture. Like I just like, I mean, it was, it was a really special day, um, of, of breaking things. And, and I'm like, And there's a bunch of things that didn't break, but like, I like bruised my shoulder and I like bumped my hand and like, was really watching myself the whole day, watching this like speed and contact that I was like engaging with the world. And I kept stopping to check in with myself. Like, do you just need to call it and like go home, Sophia? Like climb, it's okay. There's no, like you can climb into bed at two o'clock. Like this is what you need to do, you know? And I really kept getting the guidance of like, you can't fuck it up. Like, it's just one of the, like, I, I also checked off a ton of shit off my to-do list. Like I did a bunch of things and like was moving forward in this, in these ways. And at the end of the day, I just was like in this, at the end of all of it, I was so shaken and I could barely get the words out of my mouth of just like, I'm so angry, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was such a somatic, such a like visceral, um, non-story kind of mm-hmm. rage. Like it, it wasn't directed towards a person or a thing. Um, 
there are elements. It was like, I think of it as like, I could really feel if, if the rage was a river, there are things that I could see floating by in the river that mm-hmm. I could try to say were the cause of the river, right? Mm-hmm. Like I kept seeing parts of my marriage or my divorce, like floating by. And I kept seeing like parts of my like childhood or my fears or anxieties around being blamed or punished by, you know, by traumatized adults that Mm -hmm. are responsible for caretaking. Right. So I could like see these things, but mostly what was happening for me and what I think is still happening for me today is just this, like, it's just discharge. It's just this like Mm -hmm. shaky, um, discharge. It's like, pent-up energy um, that is just coming out in a very... I'm trying to move slow so I can, like, let it move. Usually I kind of very... I often have a very, like, assertive and aggressive way of working with my rage. Not aggressive towards my rage, but allow it to be aggressive, like, to let the fire rage to, like, cook it. And I've been really um, guided through the, like, the sex that I had this weekend followed by a day, literally a day of roller coasters um, <laughs> with a bunch of friends. I was, I did like the shaking. I, it was just so mad. I just was shake everything, like these deep lines. I'm noticing a rotation in my leg that I've been working on for years. I woke up this morning, happened last night and this morning, and it's not, my leg isn't rotating anymore. Like it's shifted. I can feel this pattern. I'm like, what the, like, decades of like knee leg rotation it's just like so I'm laying here going like okay like let me just be so gentle because it's happening like I don't have Mm -hmm. to like make the release happening um -hmm. so that's what when you say when you're like what's been up is like rage and I'm like oh that's like so like like just so tender for me right now Mm -hmm. yeah I feel that (laughs) for sharing yeah And, like, how beautiful and raw to have the experience of, like, deep pleasure that expands horizons and then to feel, like, where that life energy goes down into the into the depth of, like, discharging these things that are so often really stagnated for us. Yeah. yeah. So that, too. And also the necessity of, like, not um, needing to intellectualize or analyze it, but just, like, letting it come out. Yeah. I just let myself, like, work from bed today. Like, it was just, mm-hmm. like, a friend was like, can I get a ride to this thing? And I was like, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm eating an apple in my bed. Like, <laughs> and, like, doing work slow. Like, I'm, like, tip-tapping at some things. Like, yeah. The gen- it feels good to have, that feels like something that's hard won. And I'd be curious to hear you talk about like your experience with rage, but it feels hard one to be so gentle with myself in this feeling that's like so uncomfortable and, and has been, I've been told so many, like it's, I can feel the shame of to have rage at all. Like that's also what's part of clearing, you know? So to Mm -hmm. be, um, to be able to be like, I'm just sad and angry, like at myself and at my life and at the circumstance and like at this larger picture and it's not the whole picture, it's there. And I'm just going to be soft and like trust it, you know? Like, that feels like a, like, it's such answered prayers, you know? Like, I'm, yeah, so, I'm so, so grateful for you. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, one nasty yeah. moment out my mouth. 
like last night and this morning, like one, like one tone, you know, like one moment of being like, oh, nope, don't want to, no, nope, don't want to spill it out. And aside from that, it's been like real gentle. So mm-hmm. it's a huge victory to let the deep waters flow like that. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, what I can speak on is like, I and holding space for people around their deep sexual stories. You know, one thing that has been so normalized for me for all these years now is just the level of sexual harm and violation that so many of us have experienced. And and not only the, not only the harm that we experience in sex itself, but also the soul wounds, the soul violations that then play out in sexuality. So like when we haven't been you know, and this is kind of where my work is more and more going these days as I kind of move away from being like a sex coach or sex educator who talks about like anatomy and mechanics and go more into the depth work. It's like so often the challenges and the sorrows we experience in sexuality have their, their roots in something much deeper, you know, of how much we haven't been really welcomed into our lives or like welcomed to be the people that we are on a deep level. We haven't been encouraged to, you know, to have the gifts that we have. Um, and I think especially for high sensitive and highly empathic people, like just the agony of living in this like disconnected world that's sacrificed animism on the altar of modernity that's like thrown so many of our sacred traditions into the fire and that's just like collectively in the process of destroying itself like our own uh, like our orphaning is just so vast and our sexual and erotic orphaning is very much a part of that and god there's just these tremendous undercurrents of rage and grief under everything and we are so gaslit and so shamed and made to feel so crazy (sighs) for feeling that at all and it poisons us and it makes us feel sick yes so yes i mean my i'm there's so many different you know parts of this kind of sexual empowerment work like yes to more alternative narratives and yes to more information and yes to the role modeling and yes to access and all this but like I think my own sole role is really in like the underworld work of like open up these deep gates because we have so much that ungrieved that we need to grieve for and we have so much rage that deserves to be expressed and this path of opening up, you know, to the soul light and really like letting Eros be a way that we express Mm. the joy of who we really are requires that we be willing to feel more of everything, to feel more pleasure, be willing to feel more of the sorrow, to feel more joy and connection, be willing to feel more of the loneliness and the rage. So it is all part of it. Yes. Yes. (laughs) That that it's like and I you know I had this moment when you were talking where I realized um and I I can think of one and you I know she's listening I know she knows I'm she's a you're a nurse (laughs) 
<laughs> I, um, I think about how when we witness and hold space for other people, a lot of um, my listeners, I'm going to tell Leonore a little bit about you you all right now. It's just that like a lot of us are those um, space holders and we call those medicine spaces and we hear those stories. And um, I, um, well, it's deep. Like I think a big part that I am, thanks to this conversation, will turn pretty undeniably towards right now. But I think in the like have been gathering to turn towards is the recognition of how much, um, how exhausted and rage all this feeling is from just witnessing and holding space for the people and like the stories that -hmm. people have been through. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, uh, yeah, it's a deep, I just kind of lose words about it. So maybe it, I think the way I think the way that I am right now is to like to pray about it. Cuz I mean instinct is to like go and do it later, but it's like we could just all do it together now. <laughs> uh, so yeah, just um naming the uh The, there's, and you're really welcome to jump in here at any any point. Um, but it's, I, you know, what I'm seeing is, let me look, let me see. I'm seeing the threads of harm. I'm seeing the territories that are torn. Um, and do you touch people's bodies, Leonore? Is that part of your sometimes. work sometimes? <laughs> sometimes, yeah. yeah. It's like the, the, the feeling of um, like our bodies and the feelings of our souls, the ways that these places have left gaps. And so the prayer in my heart is that those places, there's so many ways to heal a gap, right? Like... We can sew a patch, or it can fill, or it can be lined. It's like a million things, right? But it's like the whatever it is, like that those parts that are so wrecked are healed. And the parts of us that are the witnesses mm-hmm. to that healing, because that's, I think, I don't I know that I have been able to do and walk in the way that I have with people is because of the power of the witnessing like to see the healing in action right it's not like it's not worse after right it's like it is a healing process and yet there's this way in which for me right now the the reverberation of hearing those stories again and again and again and so i think my i'm really praying to our ancestors right now who have heard those stories, like, have watched them in real time and then hear them again and again. And I just ask for their wisdom of how it is to stay in the true sight and the true healing so that presence and love 
uh, like wholeness and joy. Um, and I guess I just also just want to name the exhaustion, like the mm. exhaustion and the fear that come up with all of it. I feel so... Bless it. Bless it all. Um, yeah. Yeah. How are you being with it? What kind of how are you moving with the the work of the anger. I also, another, I have such a love affair with anger. It's such the like cooking fire, you know? It's like, mm-hmm. I know, like, yeah, I don't know. It's like, that isn't not true today. It's just a different side of it, you know? So mm-hmm. how, I do know. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, what was coming for me just when you were speaking was, you know, just reflecting on like how much, how, hard one it is for me to be able to witness my own anger and rage Hmm. you know that's a it's a long been a long journey to be able to do that and especially being like this kind of highly sensitive and highly empathic person who you know is so often a witness and a story gatherer you know like as probably a lot of people listening are like we're the people who it's the person next to us on the airplane. The strangers, like, yep. Story and it's like, you know, you're talking to someone you've just met and then they're just like, you know, and like you feel it coming, you know, like you mm-hmm. feel it. And then you're like, your voice gets all low and you're like, oh, fuck, here I go again. You know, and they're like, hey, I know that we don't really know each other, but I, just, like, I can tell you this right now. And you're like, fuck. And you're like, I'm here holding space for you. <sighs> <sighs> Uh-huh. Yep. Uh-huh. Oh god. This uh, like the, the desperation of being like this like involuntary witness at times. Mm. It's like so crazy making. Um and I think it really just is because our world is so impoverished for true listening. Ugh. That just the tiniest bit of it, like what is actually maybe distracted and preoccupied listening on our part is still like potent. Oh, fucking say it again. That shit is so so many people out there that like our version of like really poor or mediocre listening is still like (laughs) quality, quality shit. Um, For, you know, because the bar is so incredibly low. And so it means that people just, feel the chance to unload some of what they are carrying all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know that, so that's just like, that's, I'm just with, with you and like with everyone else for whom that's true of like really being a lifelong experience. And so being someone who does have like a soul devotion to, to listening and to compassion and to care and to presence, you know, who's like really devoted to that beautification of the world and that mm. level of mm. enrichment of presence. It can make it so hard to actually feel when I am angry uh, in part because my anger, you know, between, between that and then, you know, the whole fucking legacy of like female socialization and all of the cultural and gendered, et cetera, you know, parts of that, it's like, 
my own anger in my life often hasn't come as it kind of normally looks as it's supposed to look. And my anger has been like, my rage has really been disguised much more as like the self attack, the uh-huh. perfectionism, uh-huh. Uh-huh. this extreme uh-huh. over attunement to other people's needs and desires, <sighs> you know, dismissal of my own experience, you know, because I'm so attuned to someone else's. It's like my rage has really been disguised much more as devotion as depression, as the need to withdraw from other people for a long period of time, you know, as the feeling, the needing to be alone because being around other people feels like being watched and to be watched is to be judged. Mm. Like all of the ways I've not been able to just have really clear, strong, pure, uninhibited contact with life, Mm. you know, it is really only very recently that I have come to understand all of that as kind of manifestations, twisted manifestations, but manifestations of rage. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And anyone who wants to really study those rage disguises should absolutely read the book Healing Rage by Ruth King. That has shed so much light on this for me. So, yeah, you know, it's like rage is not the problem it's Mm -mm. this work is about and I'm going to quote her here it's about reclaiming the positive energies that have been distorted by the oppression of rage yes yes and in that is uh, our capacity to create uninhibitedly to live from an inner authority and to really be alive and to live in you know a exquisitely responsive way. Yes, Sophia. <laughs> <laughs> Purge it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm having my own, like, I just feel so... It's so funny. You know, yesterday morning I was writing about some visions that I wanted and I wrote about really wanting to have these, like, potent, potent episodes and then we rescheduled ours and now we're here and like this is what's happening and I keep I'm having I'm really present with my judge right now my like my like my judging at myself and um I keep twice now I've thought like oh I should read I should read the the writing that I have like that I have and the thought that's come up in my head is like no you can't do that like Mm shrink shrink you know what I mean this like this like you you can't you know it's I it's like I think there must have been something I I I don't remember exactly but I almost remember exactly the first time somebody said you can't quote yourself Hmm. like in my you know my early teens like somewhere in the academic world just being like it's the worst thing in the world like you could never quote your own self like it's the most obnoxious it's the most whatever and I think that moment must have terrified me so wretchedly because I knew that that's what I would be doing like Hmm. for the rest of my life was like I'm gonna write stuff and I'm gonna say stuff and like I'm going to quote myself because it, it's, uh, it's, it's not mine anyway. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's like coming through me. And so it's like when I'm looking back and reading it and like, even when it is mine, like it's worth it to like lift up and like do it again. And it, it, when you're talking about uh, the disguises and the twists of rage and when we're talking about this like optimal life force and flow and to me, 
the rage is uh, obscuration or obstruction. Um, when there is obscuration and obstruction, rage is a force that moves it, mm-hmm. right? That pushes it. And so mm-hmm. it clears, its, its purpose is to clear the channel. And so then so much of the question is like, what, for me right now, it's not always the question at all, so much like we talked about not needing to intellectualize it. Those like the thing is to just experience it. But for me, as I'm sitting here with you, knowing if, if, if the feeling is depression or withdrawal or this notion of like, I'm just gonna, knowing, like if I know that I'm staying in bed and not getting dressed and like, not brushing my teeth as ways of raging, right? Like if I'm conscious of that, this is the way I'm going to rage today. I'm like not going to take care of myself, but I'm going to also, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to take care of myself while I don't take care of myself (laughs) because like I'm going to rage by not doing these things and I'm going to be soft with myself while I do that and do it with consciousness, like be my own witness to that, like knowing that, right? So there's this other part for me that's like, okay, I know, I know that Behind that, there's, a, there's an increase of creative life force that's coming through. There's like something that wants to come through. And so it's like both that this powerful weekend, uh, this like raw ceremony. I've had a lot in the past couple of weeks, I've had a lot of this like poly ceremony like witch wound intersection stuff come up of just being like it's been a little while but I've had a couple of like crying in the car or like nightmares like I had a dream last night where I was like being chased like being with a bunch of people and being chased and we were all magic users that's like a real thing that's a common dream for me is like a bunch of magic users and then we're on the run it's like oh how how redundant right so um so I keep feeling like, uh, I know what will actually make me feel better is I will sit and rage and let that move until the thing that's coming up in me comes up and comes through me and comes into being or comes through me, right? But one of the things that I'm noticing or one of the things that I that I know I used to do and that I'm noticing now is that that socialization of like not taking up too much space or doing what I want or being who I am, that core notion, that soul wounding that you're talking around about our sexuality and another way we could say that is our creative essence, right? Like our creative soulful essence on this, our like ecstatic erotic nature, which is to dream and vision and create that there's something that like wants to come up and the, the habit or the patterns of crushing that in myself. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Was there more? <laughs> I don't, yeah, but no, I don't know. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I hear you summarizing a couple things. Like one is, I think in general, like what has 
you're, you're, you're summarizing something that touches on like a mindset shift that I think is deeply needed for a lot of us, which is to get out of this place of constantly trying to fix ourselves and, and getting out of this like place where we expect that our, our, as I said, like that our problems will be done or that like we won't enact our patterns anymore. Um, and you know, on like a lifelong journey of sexual exploration and sexual liberation, like within the broader context of capitalist heteropatriarchy, like it is to expect that we can fix ourselves and be done with it is actually just another way that we enact our own oppression. Right. And so because of that, like, there's this shift from like, oh, I thought I was done. I did the trainings. I did the fucking priestess sisterhood. I did orgasmic meditation. I did, mm, I came out as poly. I came out as queer. I, mm, you know, like, it's not like that. It's just not a linear track. And it's not a linear track in terms of our relationship with our own inner critics either. It's much more cyclical is what I find. We yeah. circle around, we consolidate the growth, we experience greater space, and then the ancestors hire us again for another piece of work. Yeah. We, yeah. I just started a, a master's program in counseling psychology, which is just like massively triggering and like, you know, like, wow, so much regression, you know. We experience the external stresses that make these things flare again, and the real measure of the work is you know, it's not, it's not just, do we go back into the same patterns, but it's like, can we be aware of what is happening and actually be with our, okay with ourselves, even when we're not okay. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's actually like the wild instinct that is being repaired in me, you know, much more mm. than like never, never withdrawing or never, you know, <sighs> skipping a meal or kind of never, okay patterns but actually being like oh just i'm noticing i'm in this thing and i can be okay with myself even when i'm not i'm not okay right i think it's that place of it's so much more helpful or productive in this process of of like healing is that notion of yes the elimination is a part but adding something in is usually the actually the first step that part of this notion of like always trying to get rid of something is also like this notion of something's wrong. So we have to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so adding in this piece of like, I'm in this pattern instead of immediately going to, I have to change this pattern. So I'm not doing it. What is it to add another piece, which is like, I'm going to love myself or I'm going to witness myself or I'm going to be with myself. I'm not going to be alone. I'm going to be playful with myself. I'm going to to laugh at myself. I'm going to, I'm going to remind myself that there's something I clearly love and actually maybe find pleasurable in this sadomasochistic game. I'm playing with myself. Yeah, I'm going to like have my agency within this instead of just collapsing into the self criticism, the self judgment. Right. There's so much. I missed it. Staying out of the black hole. Yeah. Yeah. There's this like miraculous thing that happens for me, which is that like, it's like, um, it's like the lights stay on or the door stays open or like there, there's like a breeze that can come in and out. So it's like the same thing's happening, but it doesn't happen the same way 
because the mm-hmm. lights are on or because there's a breeze that passes through the room. So it's like, even though I'm still like stomping or banging into things, it's like the breeze passes by my face and I can feel it. And so I take mm-hmm. a breath for a moment, which means immediately I'm actually doing a, a, a different thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And the way that the other piece about that is that there's just so much more energy to actually really enact a different behavior in that, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And I think that's why pleasure is such an important part of this, too, because we, you know, our instincts around pleasure have been really destroyed and really harmed. So a lot of us have to do a lot of work just to train ourselves that actually pleasure is good medicine and we need it and we deserve it that it helps us that it's not dangerous <sighs> study the ways that we put a, a cap on our the upper limit of our pleasure too. yes you know see that we're actually so much we're capable of so much more pleasure than we afford ourselves mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that we can choose to allow ourselves to have more <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I do. In fact, I just said, for those of you who don't know, um, uh, Gay Hendrix, The Upper Limit. Is that what the name of the book is? Do you know? I think so, I yeah. I think so, too. Um, uh, but Gay Hendrix, Upper Limit, I literally, at the end of last night, was like, I think I'm upper limiting. Like, yeah. I was mm-hmm. just like, oh, my gosh. I had such, and I knew it. Like, I had such an incredible time. And I was just like, oh, this is going to be, a, this is going to be. I just knew it was yeah. going to have a doozy of like integration, you know, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know it was going to be like what it was. And all that being said, I had like the gentlest upper limiting mess of a day, like <laughs> ever. Like, it's like, I can ap- totally see that like for myself of just being like, also being like, let me like not skip the opportunity to publicly say thank you ancestors. Right. And thank you self for the gentleness to like rage or to act out or to bump around or to break stuff or lose stuff, but to be also so kind, you know? Like, I used to just upper limit by just <laughs> being horrendous to myself, like, cruel, mm-hmm. like, really going after myself in really aggressively, emotionally abusive ways. I didn't do that yesterday. So mm-hmm. that, I get to, that's, I get that, too. Like, I get to have that. And then there's this opportunity like the other thing that was so wild for me when I did I ran a bath and I got in and just laid there and like stared in the dark like I didn't light a candle I didn't put on music like I was just like I just gotta get in the bath and I like got in the bath and I just laid there and then I watched my mind kind of wander and then I started to have this idea of a class to teach which is in one way, totally not new at all, because I always have like a million ideas. But in another way, something that you don't know about this, Leonor, is that I basically kind of stopped working in a lot of ways, like almost a year ago now. Like I just hit like a burnout wall and mm-hmm. was like, if I can't really shift the pattern inside it, I need to like really do something different and have like really taken like a radical walk in terms of like not working or selling my services in the way that I used to at all um, while I'm really kind of re-understanding myself. And I felt this energy coming up in me and I was like, oh, this isn't just like a million ideas that I have all the time. Like this could really be something, this feels different. Like this feels like 
really coming from a different place. And it was like very exciting and inspiring. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to like let that kind of percolate and come through and be like, yeah, that's like a normal thing that happens too, right? To have this like, like that clearing, like all that congestion clears out. And then like this energy starts to come in. And like, yeah, for a long time, I've been thinking about like, working just saying it's like are you a highly centered person that grew up with a chronically ill caregiver like Mm -hmm. why don't I say the fucking thing and it's like I know why I haven't said it because I didn't want to say a thing that would hurt or offend my chronically ill caregiver you know Mm -hmm. and it's just like Mm -hmm. oh my god if this is the clearing that makes that kind of articulation or ability to like step up and move forward like Mm -hmm. In, in that way, at those, at those knockings, you know, it's pretty amazing. And I feel like you're describing, like, what this process really is in its core. It's, like, open to pleasure, open to the greater horizons of pleasure, have a corrective experience that mm. also, like, awakens the grief for what we haven't been able to experience and express before, like, touch that upper limit uh, you know, and then the, like we could call it contraction, you could call it integration, but it's just like the way I understand it is like the energy goes where it needs to go. Mm-hmm. It then goes into the places where we don't fully trust ourselves. Mm-hmm. It goes into like the into the the places where we're still holding smallness, and it just puts us in the tumble dryer there, you know, until these things till that are stagnated move, and it also clears the space for like the real inspiration to come that's not forcing that's not compulsive doing that's not trying to prove our prove ourselves but like that really comes from the inner directives well said yeah Yeah. can can I ask you a kind of like nerdy technical question sure um just to share a little bit about when we're talking about animus like what are we ta- like what are we talking about for people who aren't familiar with that vocabulary like when you're talking about reclaiming our animus or our like our animus nature in our sexuality and our erotic stuff can you talk a little bit about just kind of like what we're what are we reclaiming and what are cuz i think part of part of the oppression is the loss of language around it which we have is like an understatement of the century, right? It's like, but, but <laughs> the fact that we have any words at all, but then we don't even know those words, right? It's like, we have a vulva and a clitoris and a vagina, but you know, it's like, it's like, it's radical just to like learn those three words. So, so mm-hmm. even though there's like so many more words to learn about our, like our genitals or our root energy. So kind of talking about sexuality or claiming our like, um, our wildness, can you like mm-hmm. give us, can you like, Give us some more words around that and what they mean. Yeah, I'll just kind of go for it in a nonlinear way. (laughs) Um, So, okay. So, animist, animism and animist spirituality, like, refers to the belief that everything has a spirit. So, you know, here in, in the West, we grow up with this materialist paradigm that says basically, you know, like, we have like Judeo-Christian religions as a norm and we have this sort of materialist, secular, like scientific outlook on life, right? That says basically like the earth is not alive. <laughs> and like, uh, think, you know, there we have like natural resources that we use. And this is like the underlying paradigm. Uh-huh. 
with which we're like currently destroying the planet. Uh huh. And it's just like it wasn't always like this, you know. Like even you know those of us with European ancestry. I'm biracial, and you know half of my family traces their ancestral roots to Europe. Like, you know, Europe had a wide variety of animist, spiritual, indigenous animist spiritual practices up into the Middle Ages, and it was all very uprooted alongside the enclosure of the common lands, the beginning of capitalism, and the witch burnings. That all went together. So you can think of animism in a way as like having empathy with the natural world. You know, when the trees, I think it was Starhawk who said that, so I'll, you know, call her name in about that. Like when the trees and the rivers and the mountains are alive and are beings with names and spirits, you have an intimate relationship with them the same way you have an intimate relationship with your lover. And when the the trees and the rivers and mountains are your friends and lovers, like you don't destroy them and cut them down. You know, you're in relationship with them. So for me, this is like the this is the deeper paradigm that I hold in my work with people around sexuality. And certainly a lot of people that I work with as clients do not hold my own spiritual beliefs, nor do they need to. But because so much of the work that I do is really about the inner world, it is about, you know, understanding and changing our relationships with our these parts of ourselves, the inner child, the inner critic, you know, it is about calling back empathy for ourselves in this deep way. And it is about seeing sexuality itself as a force that comes from nature, like as the deep, the lived experience of feeling deeply alive and belonging to life. And I'll offer two definitions of Eros that have been very meaningful for me. One comes from Rollo May, who is an existential psychologist. And he said that Eros is the desire for reunion with that which we truly belong to. Mm. Yes. And yes, Eros is the desire for reunion with that which we truly belong to. And L.J. Tessier, who wrote an amazing book called Dancing After the Whirlwind, said that eros is the longing for and the experience of interconnectedness. Mm. The longing for and the experience of interconnectedness. So as I said, like my work increasingly moves away from like sex education and sex coaching because from that definition, you know, there's actually quite a lot of sex and sexual activity that we have and do that really is not erotic. It actually is not about interconnectedness or belonging or reunion at all. It's really much more about performance, conquest, domination, and compliance. I want to just take a moment and bless all of us who have unconsciously and non-consensually participated in sex that way. Mm -hmm. And that when we hear those words, we go like, you know, it's like, sure, there's the part where we may think about other people, but I think most of us actually have a moment of like, oh, I'm so familiar with that. Like, Mm. 
oh, like being someone else's conquest or being on a conquest on another person or compliance. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. every, every word you dropped just, so just taking a moment to just recognize like all of us here in this moment. Oh, you know what? I'm going to say, it. I'm going to, if, if you're listening and you have not, you have come through a line. It's such an incredible thing right now. I have been meeting people. They're young humans that, are having a foundationally different experience. And I just want to, like, starting now, I want to make even more space in these dialogues of, like, we're in a bridge time, which means right mm-hmm. now some of us are deeply familiar with that, and a lot mm-hmm. of us have a lot of familiarity, and other people, little young people that are being raised from the earliest age with the permission that they get to decide if they hug someone or not, and that mm-hmm. they get to communicate that and that their body's pleasure is safe and sacred for them to know and have. I've met little people who are growing up in that space that they get to say like, oh, that's different. That's not, mm-hmm. that's not like eros and sex. That's like, that's role playing. That's like power mm-hmm. dynamics. Those are exercises. Um, uh, yeah. So I just want to like bless those of us that are in the process of rewiring our associations mm-hmm. or definitions of what sex is. Um, in that way. Yeah, very much, very much. We do live in a time of like tremendous perspective shifts. I mean, foundational paradigm shifts. And we are also really in an age of planetary crisis, which I feel very acutely, you know, and in, in my, um, more angsty moments, like, I'm like, Oh my God, how, how is this, how is this work on sexuality, like contributing to the earth herself the earth itself in such a time of crisis but but it, I've it seems to really be you know about like on a deep level we're being called to examine like are we enacting this dominator culture are we just going to continue to enact this dominator culture or are we willing to really make a deep shift into a paradigm of interconnectedness and that of course is going to play out in our sexuality you know, in the in the intimate terrain of our sexuality, because that's where all of this is so heightened and amplified and where we have such a huge storehouse of unprocessed rage and grief and trauma about this. Mm. So, you know, I know I'm, I'm just throwing, you're asked, you asked for words and I hope this is No, it's perfect. This is a lot of everything. Out there, you yeah, know? please, like, please. Yeah, yeah. So it's, so... Yeah, I guess I'll just stop there. But that's that's some of what this, you know, all this work around rewilding means to me. Yes, that's exactly what I was looking for. Some more context of like, what are we talking about? Um, What's some of the language that can help articulate what we know to be true? And say, like when I say like what we know to be true, I'm talking about those of us who have a, like an innate understanding of animism, right? Like nobody had to tell me like that everything was alive. Mm-hmm. I don't think. Now I definitely can't. Right, you just knew. I just knew, you know. Yeah. And, um, and, and every time anyone's ever told me, it's been like a yeah, uh-huh. Like of course, you know. And, uh, and one of the things that you kind of were talking about at the end is like not only is this the question of like are we perpetuating the dominance here in our in our sex exchange this literal primary source where 
you know, life is being procreated and these like we're passing on imprints, right? Like in those spaces, like how many of us were procreated in spaces that had some arrows, luckily, and had a lot of dominance and, um, uh, what's the word you used that I used again? Compliance. Compliance. Um, yeah. And, uh, these, 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 like these power dynamics and these notions of, you know, it's like, I mean, a lot of us, you know, my parents really loved each other and, you know, from, you know, I mean, that's the other thing I try not to do without people's consent in general is like, I try not to like look into people's eyes and read their souls or get reports from the Akashic records without someone asking, nor do I try to like infer everything that I can know about someone's life within like three sentences, um, let alone their sex life. Right. Um, there's a certain degree where it's like, I get to use that information for my well being. (laughs) I get to like Mm -hmm. be honoring of that, you know, but, um, so it's like just knowing that like we've come from those spaces and that we're we're in a process of evolving that in ourselves. And one of the things that I think is exciting is that our ability to have a consciousness I think has been really deepened by the wounding of these past few centuries. Mm-hmm. Like there's a way in which we've been carved deeply which is neither here nor there in terms of like good or bad or moral or right or wrong. It's like right now in this moment, it's just like where we've come from. And I can see to make an opportunity out of that, like an alchemy of that, like lots of, lots of, lots, (laughs) like lots of compost. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's like lots and lots and lots, you know, there's a richness in that. And in that same way, you talk about inside our sex, like that's where that's taking place. And one of the things that came up for you when you were talking was that inside that space is also this untapped storehouse of energetic potential. That when we come into these spaces and even engage in power dynamics in consensual conscious ways where we're exploring and saying, what are these pathways doing? Or we're connecting to our animist nature in an intentional way and saying like, I'm not I'm, I'm not just having sex by myself right now. Like I'm laying on the ground and I can feel and sense the, the air that's touching my skin and everything is my lover. Like knowing how I can be changed by a lover's touch or seeing the way that I can change someone. Of course, what is it to fully embrace the truth of like, what is it to become the heir's lover? And like the way that I can contribute to a lover's healing by my caring and by my touch and by my breath and by my presence. And so what happens when we become the lovers of the seas and the, you know, and, and in the, in that real relationship, what kind of potential or potency we gather in our own selves when we, when we, when we claim that remembering. Mm-hmm. Beautifully said. Yes. Beautifully said. <sighs> Yeah. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways it's about getting back to the poetic and mysterious and mystical like engagement with life that many of us perhaps felt as children before it was shamed out of us. Mm. But that that animist wonder 
of like the earth being alive and having so many experiences and adventures to offer. There's an awe to that that we so miss out on as adults who whose lives have been really conditioned into just mostly working and doing and performing. Mm. Ah, performing. That yeah. Word, the key word that I. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so this. There's, I think we're speaking about this like really deep shift in, in sex, not just being something that we do that's like everything else on our to-do list, mm. but that can open the door to a different way of being mm-hmm. in which these deeper connections are really felt and that helps us to be more alive and then to be also more in touch with our own souls and to work more from that soul place in our lives. It's good. It's good. This is good. Good stuff. Good. Good times. Good. Good things. I'm quote my psychic Mindy Lou here. He likes to say, "There is no law of bad, only the law of good, and the hmm. law of good is the law of God." When you want to feel good. You want to feel God. Mm. That's the, I mean, that is like a definition of Eros right there, right? Mm. It's like, it's like, it's like all things are made of life force and to want to, to come into remembering and to want to be in relationship with life force. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a real element here that I, I, I want to talk about around um it's like it's uh, trust and trusting the process and trusting yep. one's self yeah um and I'm, I'm getting it too i'm getting it too <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I was like going there and you started talking about this i mean please finish if you, i have a, a thread i want to pick up and i'm wondering if it's the same thread well i kind of just want you to p- maybe I don't know, maybe you just go with it because that is the, um, that's the, I forgot about that. But when I looked at it, I was thinking about my, I think of this card in my mind that I pulled a couple of days ago is I always think of as a rage card, but the truth is it's not a rage card. It's a trust card. It's about trusting the process and moving through it. So, um, mm-hmm. so I just like glanced at it and was like, oh shit, this is really about trust. Like, mm-hmm. oh gosh. So I want to know what's what's coming up for you and yeah so what just came up for me was like you use the word trust and what came up for me was like this thing about understanding like the balance or the interplay of agency and surrender Mm. so like yeah wow you know we're talking about like these really big things it's like a deep and for me it's like I always like to approach things on the level of the soul you know it's just more satisfying than being on the level of the mind although I do love to intellectualize or the emotions like the level of the heart all wonderful but to me it's really like I do think I do my best work on the level of the soul because the soul like has the 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 breadth and depth to like hold and witness all of like the horror that's been inflicted but also all of the beauty yeah. you know 
and to weigh that all and like the deep balance that can still hold this is like, Mm. I'm still grateful to be here and I'm still grateful to be alive. Mm -hmm. And I really need to like work from that place in order to be in this work. Cause as you were naming, just like the exhaustion and the burnout is is very real. And the re-traumatization, the vicarious trauma is also very real. So in my own journey as a practitioner of this work, I've gotten really clear that I need to like really be coming at this from the level of the soul and, and doing my best work with people who can go to that soul place. So with that, you know, we're talking about like this massive shift in how we like experience Eros and how we like experience life itself. And what came to me was to explore this interplay of agency and surrender Mm -hmm. because there's, there's a lot to, it's just, I think like, I really want to say that we need both, you know, agency for me is like, the ability that we have to just pursue what we want to pursue to create ourselves as like really independent beings of with free will, you know, to the agency to look at the ways that our sexual pasts have been conditioned by these non-consensual experiences. I mean, both like things we experiences we were perhaps forced into, but also just the narratives that we unconsciously take on about who we're supposed to be as sexual people uh-huh all of that and and that a part of our agency is like looking really looking at that critically and deciding like i can choose to do this differently mm. you know i refuse to carry that and i refuse to continue to enact this yeah. and i have the right to do things my own way And even if no one else in my family has ever talked to me about this, even if none of my friends support me in in this, even if I've never had a lover who encouraged me in being this way, like I am living my life and I get to choose how I'm going to do this. So there's this like the agency of claiming our own path, you know, and, and there's so much involved in that, the bound, the deep boundary work that is always required. Yeah. Um, just the constant like raising of our consciousness about that, you know, and in some ways that's very kind of pragmatic and political work too. And, um, you know, the, the, on a lot of it is also about skills. Like there's a lot of, I think you and I've kind of kept this conversation in like the philosophical and the spiritual and emotional realms, but there's a lot of concrete skills that are required to be on this path. How much can I actually notice and take responsibility for my needs how much can I then communicate that? Yep. How much can I regulate myself when someone else isn't able to meet me and my desires and needs? Yeah. How do I operate from this place of inner authority? You know, And how do I develop discernment to actually tell what supports me and what does not support me? Boom! Like, ongoing life skills. You know, It's like we make ourselves into a really there's that Buddhist metaphor of like making ourselves into the good cup, like a really Mm. solid good cup, you know, which is like, I mean, the psychodynamic people would say like ego strength, you know, right. Like the real ego strength to be on this path. And then there's also the side of surrender, the being able to open ourselves to the ecstatic realms to deeply let go, Mm. to have this trust in life, to, um, Mm, yeah, to open ourselves to the transcendent sides of it too. And I see that often it's like we're 
kind of overdeveloped in one side and uh -huh. underdeveloped in the other. Like, mm -hmm. I think for a lot of highly sensitive and empathic people, we do have this innate ability, like, to let go, to empathize and go into someone else's experience, to go into an ecstatic experience. But we really need to do a lot of boundary work and communication work and work in our needs, you know? Yeah. Or there are others who are very, like, very firm and maybe rigid and calcified in that, and they need to learn how to actually let go and have more trust and how to surrender. Um, so there, there are two things that go hand in hand. And that's, I think, what's what enables us to be on this path and have a trust in ourselves and have a trust in the mystery, too. I love everything I love you just said. Did I answer? Was I... What did I answer your we're question? Like, we're like in the zone. We're just so in the zone. We're, what, what, yeah. we're so in the zone. I, we're in the zone. What, I, when you were just talking right now, I was like, you just almost like half described the course that came to me in the bathtub last night. Mm -hmm. The intersection between this agency and skill develop, like this skill development for me is that skill development on both sides, right? So the skill mm. development around the agency and then skill development around the surrender. Surrender, right? right. So surrender is a skill. It's a skill. It's totally mm -hmm. a skill, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So that's exciting to just like hear you talk about things. I'm just like, oh, that's a that's a cool thing. I'm just being like, it's like, yeah, one class is womb blessings. The other one is like nonviolent communication, like identify mm -hmm. your needs and like ask, are you making direct requests? Like mm -hmm. forget about, asking making direct requests can you notice whether yeah. or not you are right like step one right did you think were you hoping all day that somebody was going to meet this need without saying anything out loud right like right you know because a lot of us don't even realize in the process and in the development of those skills that we're not doing them totally like we it's like because we're doing we're using the skills that we had to get our needs met it's like well right. i wanted space so i did all the things i've always done to get space Mm -hmm. you know, in this deep conscious level, if you ask them, do you want space? The answer would be like, no, I don't need space. I'm fine. Right. I'll just slowly shut down and I'll get judgmental of everybody around me until everybody glare, leaves me alone. you and pull away and like, you know, viciously attack you in my own mind. Right. You know, why would you possibly think I wouldn't need space right now? Silently communicate contempt for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I've never done that. Right. Can't possibly. Sorry to my partners who are listening to this. Right. Thank you to my ex-partners. Thank you to my partners who are listening to this. To this. <laughs> I love you. Thank you so much. You're so good to me. Thank you for like looking at me. It's like my partner last night was like, mm-hmm. Was like just kind of as I was like stomping around, they're like, uh-huh. Like just like, yeah. uh-huh. Just like and I was uh -huh. like, I I know, okay, I know. And they're like, uh-huh. It was just like I was like, are you gonna eat up here? And they're like, no, I'm gonna go downstairs and watch TV. I was like, okay. <laughs> Fine. They're like, uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. Uh, yeah. So I mm -hmm. I I want to read this thing that I wrote that I haven't I haven't read in a minute. It goes along with I made a deck of cards, and this card is um, I'll include a picture in the show notes or a link in the show notes if you want to check it out. I'm going to show Leonor right now this card. You can take a look at it and the mm, beautiful so mm -hmm. you can see it. So and it's the trust truly card. So. Let's find out what I had to say, what, what had to say through me. <clears throat> Go. 
We are most easily comfortable with that which is familiar and predictable. We are told that trustworthy things will not inspire hurt in us or be unpleasant to experience. This kind of thinking divides our life into things that are trustworthy and untrustworthy. This mindset justifies limiting and restrictive life circumstances. How do I know if something can be trusted? Frequent and reasonable question. The thing is, it's not about trusting something outside of yourself. This process cultivates believing in your own ability to navigate the unexpected. Mm -hmm. An element at play here is learning to trust that people will be who they are and that things are what they are. A frequent problem we run into is that we trust people and things to be as we want them to be or think they should be. When they are what they are, instead of what we expect them to be, then our quote-unquote trust is broken. Upon deeper reflection, often the disappointment and distrust stems from us not knowing better than to have expected anything different. That in turn stems from ignoring what we knew about that person or thing. This is a call to trust what you know and base your expectations and boundaries on reality as opposed to your wants and shooting of people and circumstances. So this is, and there's a second teaching of this card. This is really reminding me of this notion of the awareness piece that we were just talking about, of just being like, how much are you like, like trusting really requires a presence of mind and an acceptance of like the landscape that we're in. The second teaching of this card is about trusting the ugly, painful, messy, loud, and insightful parts of the healing process. When we fully trust the wails of our grief, the screams of our rage, the hiding and festering under our shame, the awkward and ungraceful movement of our joy and ecstasy, and any other parts we are tempted to deem not spiritual or negative, we allow the space needed to let those parts be processed fully. When something is fully processed, we move forward from an experience in our lives with insight, appreciation, internalized and integrated wisdom. We also stop avoiding memories of past circumstances that might resemble what's happening, but are not actually our reality anymore. This means what we may, this means that we may make different decisions so as to not recreate the same experiences we've already had without the need to avoid the elements that may appear similar. Or in the case of a desiring to recreate a pleasurable situation, we can make decisions that will contribute to having a pleasurable experience in the present without getting stuck or pulled into the illusion of a past thing needing to be mimicked exactly, which doesn't usually work. When we have access to the deeper patterns and subtler signals that led to such experiences, we can use that awareness to make informed life decisions. With practice, this will mean that we are making choices about our lives and well-being before the critical moment of observable outcomes are taking place. I just, it keeps going. <laughs> are you still with me? <laughs> okay. We cease to hang on to an old story as the defining truth of who we are. Though we may acknowledge the way that it has changed us, while trusting such intense and culturally unacceptable expressions, such as weeping, screaming, 
erotic and sexual expression, shutting down, zoning out, or numbing, the trick is to interpret and let go of the stories attached to why you are experiencing this particular thing. Meaning, mm. stop judging why you're feeling a certain way as right or wrong. Instead, shift into accepting and allowing those feelings space to move fully without hindrance. Release attachment to the feeling, being justified or not, and make space for the feeling to be just that, a temporary expression of emotions and sensations. Feelings mm. don't tell you the truth about a situation. They tell you how you feel about what you are perceiving, projecting, and imagining about a situation. Bring your focus to the body's experience and truly feel your feelings. Cultivate a practice of being in your body. This means physically feeling your body in time and space. Breathe into both the diaphragm of your lungs and your pelvic floor diaphragm. Soften the roof of your mouth by relaxing the jaw and allowing the soft palate to raise and go round, making a dome. Give yourself permission to be different, recover, and change. This level of trust in your body's wisdom and your whole being's ability to fully heal can be applied to both the present moment, allowing an experience to be fully processed in the here and now, as well as in recovering from past experiences. This kind of deep processing allows for vibrancy and full expression of self. In this way, we let those past moments to be parts of our story. The result of fully processed emotions and trauma is health and integrated well-being Go ahead and trust truly. Mm. Mm, thank you. <laughs> I feel like we came full circle into <laughs> like right back into that. Yeah, just trust of letting the uninhibited emotions flow. Mm -hmm. And I just, I feel so connected in this to like, I feel like one of the things that I want to like invite you darling listener i feel like i gotta come up with a nickname for you my sweet listeners like my like i, I, I use schmumpkin a lot how do you feel about schmumpkin um but uh what do you want me to what do you want me to call you um uh is this place of like doing the study of knowing what is pleasure I think is such a big part, like a lot of the stuff that we're talking about, like trusting the process and doing the deep work and doing the soul groundwork is so important. It's so important. And I feel like for so many of us right now, especially those of us that have been so sensitive and doing this work for a decade or two decades or three decades are really, I think, at a collective turning point of going like, okay, but what do I, what feels good? Like mm -hmm. you talked about that so beautifully of like how most of us don't know. And so that's like one of the things that I kind of just want to like say and like call in and invite and send forth as like that invitation to like, to, to know, to begin to know and to be able to discern like what actually feels good to who you are and to bless the part that feels confusing or like confused about that. Like it's okay to not know, like I didn't know. And I've spent a lot of time researching it and studying it by myself and with other people and like in supported spaces and taking courses and journaling by myself and in the bathtub all those things so I don't know so I have two formal closing questions Leonore but before we do that I just want to kind of hand it back to you and just be like we kind of went a lot of places took a big journey like any, Mike is yours anything mm -hmm. 
Oh, I'm just grateful for the chance to swim in the deep waters, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Um, and just with all that you shared, I think it, it just brought for me the spark of remembering like this, that the work of really getting back in touch with our intuition is about like just remembering how much that voice has always been there mm. and always will be there and always continues to be there. Mm. And it's not that it's ever been lost. It's just like that we've been too attuned to the other frequencies, you know, and just like knowing how to find that again, like helps with all this. And, and it's, it's, it's an unlearning process more than a learning like a, an unlearning of what gets in the way of pleasure, you know, because our, our capacity to have pleasure is very intact. Yeah. As is our intuition, as is our soul. Yes. All yes. That. Yeah, just to end with the remembering of that wholeness. I love that. I love that. You reminded me. I, thank you. I feel like you just, like, totally just reawakened this for me, which I'm just going to, like, take with me for this next week. I just know. I can feel it. It's like, oh, that's it. Like, putting it in my pocket, which is, like, what feels good isn't confusing. Like, yeah, it's actually very simple. It's actually very simple. And, and one of the things that I've noticed in this past year of really choosing things that, choosing to pursue things that feel good is to notice how it's not confusing to my body. That like <laughs> literally my knees open and my chest opens and I lean forward and it's like all, it's like I get all these cues of like, ooh, yeah, that, I like it, I want it, you know? So I just really appreciate what you just said of just being like, right, like, which isn't to say that we can't have shame or confusion around our pleasures, right? And that's what you're talking about. And that's that getting the support to like untangle the stuff around it. But that, that moment of that thing makes me feel good mm-hmm. is, it's, it's there. It's, like, it's there and it's, it's just there. about learning to pay attention to it again. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Awesome. Leonore, this was such a treasure. Okay, I don't want to jump ahead. We'll do our great. This was great. Okay, closing, closing questions. Um, the first one is, where do you like people, like, what do you want people to know? Where do you like to be found? People have questions or want to connect or do you have something coming up you want to invite people to? Anything like that. This is your time to just tell people how to find yeah, you. Yeah, thank you. So my website is rewildingtheheart.com. Um, I have a monthly online group that meets on the fourth Friday of the month where um, we just have a little online circle and I tell a mythological story or a folktale and I offer a selection of poems um, or songs and then we just have this discussion of linking these kind of mythological themes to sexuality and to creativity. And, uh, I love that. Very inexpensive. So if you'd like to join, it's, it would be lovely to have you. Um, it's called Hearthfire Circles, so you can find it on my website. And um, I have some upcoming trainings coming around that I'm going to be doing really on this intersection of high empathy, high sensitivity, and how that plays out in sexuality in particular. So you can just get on the mailing list on my website to get notified about that. Awesome. Beautiful. Thank you. So the closing question is, so we're birthing this new paradigm, right? We're creating, we're summoning. It's like, it's very real. It's what we're up to, right? So my question is, assuming you're with me on that, is uh, what does it look like? What does it taste like? What does it feel like? Where are we going? What's a, what's a, 
a moment or a signal or a example, what is that landscape? What's a part of that landscape that you know? Um, help us remember, help us call in by, by sharing with us what that healed uh, and hold landscape mm. is. Mm. Yeah, thank you. You, uh, I'll close with the very simple questions. <laughs> um, <laughs> my sense is like it's a paradigm that's both being born but also being like deconstructed and remembered at the same time mm. and that we all have our part to contribute in it um in bringing forth new ideas to respond to the to the problems and crises of our time in naming the invisible making the invisible visible naming that deconstructing it and then also reaching back into the past into the ancestral realms into the modes of being that have been suppressed within dominator culture and, and remembering the seeds of relating that are still carried there. So uh, it's like, I see it as a, you know, a process that's happening in many different ways and in many different forms. And I mean, my vision is, My vision is like that we really, that we continue to evolve, you know, in response to the pressures that are on us. Like environmental crisis has always prompted evolutionary miracles <laughs> in a way. And in facing these bigger planetary crises, you know, as well as just the, the enormous culture of sexual mistrust that we live in, I really turn towards that etymological definition of apocalypse is like that which unveils, you know, there. So there's a massive unveiling going on. And with that comes the chance to evolve in all kinds of miraculous ways to expand the possibilities, like the creative possibilities of gender and sexuality into ever evolving ways. And with that, to still carry forward that like soul, you know, song dream that we are the emanation of the earth. We are Earth's art project, or Earth is Earth's art project, and we're one very, very fascinating installation of it. And just to always feel that ecological creativity as part of our erotic belonging. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes. With that, just kind of riding that wave, summoning and blessing the, the miracles. Oh, Leonora, thank you so much for being with us today, joining us for your deep swim and your obvious, like really deep knowledge. And, and ooh, yeah, pleasure sign happening right now. I just started, my mouth just got really wet. I started drooling. It's good. It's like really in here, just like really, I feel very different than I did at the start of our time together. I'm really grateful for the medicine that we shared in this time. And 
and with you, sweet listener, and may all of us in this great unveiling time, may we be awake to the miracles as they come in multitudes. May we be awake, may we be with them, may we feel them, may we know them, may we share them, may we be them. May, mm. may we have that. So thank you, thank you, thank you. As always, just reach out, my loves. Be in touch. Okay. All right. Until next time. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much. And thank you, Sam. Thank you, Sophia. Remember, everything that we talked about in today's episodes will be in the show notes, so go there for links. For more content that you're going to love, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to this podcast. Share this episode with anybody you think you'll enjoy it, and share the love with a rate or review wherever you listen. And to find out about all the mad adventures I'm up to, check me out on Instagram, at SophiaWiseOne, uh, or come to my website, SophiaWiseOne.com. I am Sophia Wiseone, daughter of the wind. I am calling you to rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up and take your place. Thank you, gorgeous. I am thrilled and grateful for your support listening to this podcast. I want to invite you to come check out the Patreon. If you think this podcast is the bee's knees and you're grateful that it exists, I want you to know I'm grateful that you exist. Come join the Patreon. I call it the temple. We are healing. We are musicking. We are podcasting. We are together. Come check it out. You can find it through Patreon backslash Sophia Wise One or through my website, sophiawiseone.com. Y'all know you need to hear that, though. You know. If you don't know, now you know. If you don't know. Okay. Y'all, I'm so excited about Vagina Talks right now. Don't pretend like you don't know this is the best podcast you've ever listened to. Don't pretend like you don't know. You know.